Hey there, before we get into this week's episode, some keen eagle-eyed listeners would be able to see, yes, we have indeed reached the halfway point for season nine, the great podcast, five stars, it's unstoppable. That being said, we are stopping. We are going to be taking a mid-season break, giving ourselves a few slices of l'orange. However, we are going to be very active on our Discord, and it's a great place to come and join uh, not only us, but other fans of the podcast, if you haven't already. We've got the link for that inside the description for this episode. We are planning on doing a few things there over the course of the break. Also, if you haven't already, an excellent time to make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be keeping you up to date with all things over the course of the break there as well. It's a bloody great time to leave us a a five-star review, I'll tell you that much. Not that there's ever a bad time, but it is certainly an excellent time to go and do that. Five stars only. And also, hey, if you're still desperate for more Hundo's content in this time, well, we got eight other bloody seasons as well. So, you can go and check out some of that action too. Don't be a stranger though. Come join us on Discord. Come follow us on our socials. Keep in touch with us. Please, uh, anytime that you want to drop us a line through anywhere that you can find us, we all love hearing from you. And with that... We ready to rock? Let's rock. So. We'll start the rock show. Oh, Yes. <laughs> I wonder what I think about that song. Ah, you don't know because I'm disguising my thoughts and feelings until it's time. What's I mean, it's, it's true. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I saved mm. it, didn't I? Does he like it? Does he not like it? What is it? Ah. <laughs> you, have to, you have to listen to the pod to find out. I'm about to. Without a purpose or direction, we don't owe anyone a fucking explanation. We are hottest one hundred and thousands, and we are taking control of your rock show. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young, and I am one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again is Adam Buncher. What? I didn't know. Nathan Harrison. Huh? <laughs> and Andrew McDonald. How am I the most composed one here? <laughs> this has never happened. It was, a, it was a quote from The Rock Show. Oh, mm. yeah. But Which, except right. in that case, you know, what, I said what and didn't know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. He's so That's cool. what threw me off. I was yeah. like, that's fine. Only true fans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only true heads will know. <laughs> you know. All right, enough forward selling. Let's focus on the present, the here and now. We are here at number 55 in the 2001 Triple J Hottest 100, and we are kicking off with a generational bang. This is Linkin Park. This is One Step Closer. Not take this anymore. Saying everything I said before. All these words they make no sense. I find this in ignorance. Less I hear, the less you say. You'll find that out anyway. Just like before. Everything you say to me. Lincoln Park making their debut. And final appearance 
in the Triple J 2001 Hottest 100. That is the song One Step Closer, the lead single and signature song from the debut studio album Hybrid Theory, the multi-platinum, genre-defying, huge, huge, wildly, wildly successful album, a a legacy that has lasted 20-plus years, including up to last year when that fuck-off deluxe edition box set came out and they just cleared out the archives and just put everything out there. This is a legacy band. You can't talk about music at this point, counterpoint to like alternative culture or whatever, in mainstream culture, Linkin Park are about to explode. They are about to become the zeitgeist. They are about to become the pinnacle of being a rock band in this era. Adam, do you remember the first time you heard One Step Closer? No. No? No. But I will tell you this. You said like you can't talk about music at this time. I couldn't talk about music at all if it weren't for Linkin Park. True, yeah. And if it weren't for this song. Because when you're not into music yet, especially as a very young person, it takes something very big to wake you up, to take you from being someone who has no concept of music and the listening of music and no interest in it to all of a sudden turning that zero into a one. And it wasn't the first song to do that, but it might have been the most significant no way. Yeah, song to no, do that. for real. Heard yeah. this on, I, like, when I heard this on the radio, and I don't remember the exact time, but I do know the impact that it had, I just went, what's this? What's going on? And, and Hybrid oh. Theory was one of the first albums I ever just sat down and consumed as music. Mm. And, I, and I, remember, I remember that. I remember that listen because I put yeah. it in my PlayStation 1 and I listened to it through the TV. Yes, and still man. when I think of Hybrid Theory, I think of the, the, the really old visualizer from the PlayStation 1 on a CRT. That's beautiful. Yes, on, with a PlayStation controller in my hand and I was just me sitting there and digesting it. And then... You know, I was I was like early high school. Uh, I think it was as soon as this came out. Like I was I was onto it, and it was just one of the the very first albums that I just consumed and consumed and consumed and and got excited by. Was it one of those ones where like you just played it start to finish over and over again? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this woke me up. This was the song that got me interested in music. As a thing, wow. and I want to put that out straight as straight ahead as, yeah. as like that's this is what this song is to me. So it's kind of intimidating to even come <laughs> and talk about it. How long had it been between listening to this and last time you heard it? Oh god, I don't know. Actually, no. Actually, I do know that because, funnily enough, I had a bit of a Lincoln Park listening experience uh, last year or earlier this year. Yeah, right. Because I listened to the new Bring Me the Horizon album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and I'm I'm kind of jumping way ahead here. Mm. And this just speaks to the legacy of Linkin Park because heavy music seems to be so indebted to them now. Absolutely. And I seriously think that it's just a case of there's been enough time passing that the reference to Linkin Park, is a, it, it points towards them, but it doesn't completely overtake what you're doing with your own music. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's what I think part of it is. But I also, I don't know what the other thing is. It's just tastes have just swung around and these bands that used to have a different style have now, I'm thinking particularly of Bring Me the Horizon and, and Architects. Architects for sure, yeah, yeah, the yeah. The most recent Architects album coming out this year. Yeah. Cementing that as well. It's just like, you well, can hear Linkin Park in it. Totally. And so I did. I heard, I, I liked that Bring Me the Horizon album. I listened to it quite a bit. But then I just kind of went like, it's been ages. I want to go back and actually listen to Linkin Park. And I just had a great time. It's so good, right? <laughs> Hybrid Theory holds the fuck up. 
I think it does. But I think the reason why it does is the same thing that we've talked about when we talk about New Order in the 80s yeah. or you talk about grunge in the 90s. This is time capsule shit. Mm. 100%, yeah. It's it just so of its era and of its time. Yeah. But at the same token, like, you know, like an alternative band could put that out like last week. And, you know, it would still sound as, like, energetic and vital and, yeah. But it would still be referencing 2000s Sure. Rock, you yeah, know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Totally. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like after Chester passed, like, I feel like a lot of people just kind of came out of the woodwork as Linkin Park fans. I think it took something that astronomical for people to really take stock of, like, how much that band meant to them and how important that band was. Oh. Because up to that yeah. point, they were absolutely taken for granted. Just like, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of liked them back in the day. But then after that, you know, late 2017, when people are just kind of realising, oh, wow, no, this was my gateway drug. Listening to Linkin Park got me into metal or it got me into hardcore or it got me into hip-hop or it got me into... Organised sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) One way or another, Linkin Park was so influential, especially for, like, millennial musicians. It can be super obvious, like Bring Me the Horizon and Architects and whoever else, but it can also be in really subtle ways. Like, Lonely Spec, who's who's a friend of mine as well, like, talked about how the mix of, like, melodic and, like, poppy melodies with the crunch and the fucking pulsating guitars like really influenced their sound i i might not have been able to pick that up otherwise but once i heard that i was like oh yeah totally just the the legacy that this band had left and the impact that they had had you know it all comes back to this song and this moment because this for our generation is so important i've said this before and people have taken this as they will, you know, you can take it as a positive or a negative. Shut up when I'm talking to you is our generation's fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. We heard that and we're just like, yeah, you know what, you're fucking right. You will shut up when I'm talking to you. It wasn't like as direct and author- and like anti-authority or whatever. But the second we heard that, we were just like, no, fucking right. I'm fucking 12 and I'm going to take on the fucking world right now. So every time I come back to it, I just think of that moment and just hearing that for the first time because like, God, that would have been like the heaviest thing I'd ever fucking heard at that point. And yeah, it seems like immature or whatever now, but it was just this moment. It's one of those bands that like, I know specifically several listeners have huge emotional connections with Linkin Park. This specific song being the one that we speak about, this is the one that I think makes the most sense to be in the countdown. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it checks out. And it's really fucking fascinating. As someone who like doesn't have a connection with Linkin Park, like this has never been my cup of tea, I can still recognise all these things that like, you're right, like all the connections to other artists that were influenced by, like, by, by One Step Closer in particular, it's really fucking obvious that like these guys knew they had lightning in a bottle with this motherfucker. Hmm. It's a really obvious and direct fucking statement song kind of thing. I've said before, I really love statement songs that kind of, that exemplify the sound of a band, not necessarily as a mission statement with the lyrics, but to a certain degree, the way that both um, Chester and who was the other? Mike Shinoda. Mike Shinoda. Their interplay exemplified the kind of like, I guess to a certain degree, you would definitely still call this new metal. Oh yeah, no, it was it was categorically a huge part of new metal for sure. But it's so different. Like again, we, this is one thing that, that I've really when we've spoken about other new metal songs like Limp Bizkit or Corn, the huge amount of variation in what new metal was um, becoming at this point. Having this track, which like really leans into the rap rock 
of it all. This is one that, like, for, for prep, obviously, I did listen to the song again, but it's one of those ones that even though it's not my cup of tea, it's one that's inescapable. It exemplifies, yeah. like, the kind of, like, the end point of the genre. Like, this is what we were always going to reach. And I think it being a mainstream song is so very important. Mm. There's no gatekeeping. There's no edginess. There's a slight degree of edginess or whatever, you know. It- C- come on. There, there, there's a mm. bit of edginess. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. They're, they're almost there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're very close to the edge exactly. and we're getting closer. I think it's different, though, to what effect Limp Biscuit and Corn want to have with their audiences. Mm. And I think this plays into the legacy and why I think that this band was special to people because I think there is a vulnerability that Linkin Park had and an openness about their own emotional state that I really think is the true legacy that they leave behind as well. There's a mainstream band that has the voice that teenage guys are going to gonna connect to. And we talked about how we think that if there's any value in new metal, it's giving voice to people who are you know dealing with a lot of feelings, don't know how to express them and whatever. And you look, some of the outputs that those bands suggested are pretty toxic. Lincoln Park just said, "Just get it out." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you're and you're exactly right. The the catharsis and the rallying cry behind a group of kids who don't know how to deal with their feelings. Shut up when I'm talking to you. Listen to me. But it's mm. also them talking to themselves when it comes to that as well. It's like I want to try and sort this out. And I think Chester Bennington, he was the perfect person to deliver that message because of his life story, which I only found out looking at this. He was a survivor of abuse. Yeah, and also, I may be wrong with this, but I think it's accurate. This was during a really tumultuous time with his drug abuse. Yeah, so it went from survivor of abuse, broken home, Mm. to then a a really troubled relationship as so many people suffering from trauma do fall into, drug and alcohol abuse and stuff like that. But throughout it all, he connected to music not only in terms of the listening and consumption but the creating Mm. that's not a new thing but i think he is the example for that generation yeah for our generation and again it's like it was so important for this to be on the radio Mm. and i think the other really good reason why is because i think at its heart this is a pop song oh 100 yeah yeah this is as much of a mainstream big sugary it's just reskinned, and that reskinning and that fashion that it wears is very, very important in terms of targeting the people that it really wants to target and, the, and talking to the people that it really wants to talk to. But you listen to that guitar riff coming in, hook, <laughs> like Huge. all the individual melodies. Is there's just so much pop now? So the way that it, you know, like sets you up before the chorus hits. Mm. It's just the moments that it sets up is just like pop catchiness to an absolute T and it's so wonderful I think that pop accessibility and the fact that it was on the mainstream radio because we've spoken before Adam you in particular have noted how um, if you were a disaffected young sad person and you found corn this is shooting for something similar but definitely different more vulnerable, more yeah. more yeah. aware. It, it's drawing with this awareness, right? Mm. And it's something that Chester's talked about directly in interviews in terms of his his songwriting. He's like, I want to make people sit with their feelings and whatever, and then they can actually like find a way through it. And it's and you know, like most of the time when we've talked about the mainstream example of say hip hop, the one that broke through and was like, is the first like commercial hip hop success is yeah. the first commercial success you know pop punk we've talked about pop punk so much yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know th- this this sucks but I think it's so <laughs> essential to new metal that that's what happened that we condensed new metal down with all of its experimentation and all of its wild masculine energy 
and we ended up with this as the condensed, crystallized, packaged, mainstream, purchasable content. And it, the, the way that it cleaned up managed to strip a lot of the elements that were bad <laughs> about new metal and instead gave us this kind of this kind of really pure song that again like answered that mission statement as i see it mm. in a really powerful way that's a fascinating one man fucking one step closer is the rapper's delight of new metal <laughs> there it is nathan i'm remembering this you said you didn't listen to music until you were 13 yeah but like this was inescapable. Did you have any semblance of like how like massive this was at the time? I'm sure I heard it on the radio and, and saw it on video hits or whatever. Yeah. But like it's not something I connected with. Linkin Park have never have never been a band I've connected with. It's been really interesting since Chester died, sort of watching the narrative change as a lot of yeah. people felt, you know, yeah, I, I guess being like, no, actually this band was important to me. Yeah. It's weird it, kind of like you take stock of it, I think. Yeah. That weird revisionism where people kind of forget that also Linkin Park were always kind of a dorky band as well. Sure. And that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, and this song too, this yeah. song is so like, mum, please knock before you come into my room. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But that was the target audience. It like was I said. Exactly yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So like, I don't have th- that experience at all with this song or this band. And yeah. I'm not interested in having that experience. I think it is so interesting though, Nathan, you're right, that it has been a revisionist kind of thing. Yeah. But hey, like I I also don't think it's wrong. You know what does suck? And this is 100% something that will happen and it's terrible, is that there's going to be a pub somewhere in the future when we are the age of 45 and there's going to be a bunch of 45-year-olds absolutely going ham and singing this song. Oh, Oath. (laughs) Yeah. Oath, dude. I've done in the end a bunch at karaoke. It's Mm. a fun, like... Dorky karaoke oh, yeah, I can, song. I can yeah, bust out true. all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this is gonna be as important a sing along as like Kaysan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, yeah. For, for it, it's generation. still kind of that now, to be honest. Yeah, so like they can exist as a really sincere thing. They can exist as a meme. I wasn't expecting to get. I mean, like I was expecting to get emotionally connected to the song because it's like, yeah, okay, like this was my off to on music song but yeah. the, the rest of the stuff that i kind of like reflected upon and thought about came as a bit of a surprise to me honestly yeah you know no, I, mean? I get it so this is the last time that we obviously get to talk about lincoln park similar to good charlotte they have booked their ticket out of the uh, alternative music community at this point and they would go on to have rip-roaring success for the next 15 odd years obviously the next record after this meteora does incredibly well uh so numb was obviously the big hit single from that um but also songs like somewhere i belong and breaking the habit are also like big uh singles around this point uh minutes to midnight comes after that which uh has a song on the Transformers soundtrack, which obviously, you know, kind of goes gangbusters as well. All of their records, like, go at least platinum. You know, even long after the kind of fall of new metal, they continue to transcend and adapt and evolve and change with the times. And they continue to openly collaborate with such a wide array of people. Everyone from, like, Tom Morello to Stormzy ends up working with Linkin Park over the years. And... Things kind of come to a very abrupt end circa 2017, but um, Mike Shinoda is 
still out there like uh, through lockdown he's like connected with people on Twitch and like started his own thing there he's, he doesn't play games like he's literally just he don't play games no he like produces stuff from scratch and like fans will send in their own music and he will like give them feedback and like add to it and like like co- actively collaborate with them and stuff like that nice. um, he had a he had a really interesting kind of long form chat with Anthony Fantano a couple of months ago and oh, if wow. you could, yeah if you can look that up it's really cool to see them just kind of being super open and super honest to just about like where he's at creatively what he's doing now and but also like the impact of like Linkin Park and like how they were taking that in because they were so young you know like they were in their early 20s when they were like ascending to that point you know they played 320 shows the year that Hybrid Theory came out. Isn't that insane? 320 shows in a year. Yeah, they went everywhere. They they famously broke the floor at the Enmore Theatre <laughs> when they came out uh, Circa Meteora. I feel like every band's done that. I feel like, I feel like Enmore needs to that sort it shit out. That was the reason why for so many years there was a barrier down the middle of the Enmore Theatre like dance floor, yeah, yeah. So that was that was them, and we'll sort it out. Like, just because <laughs> no, it's it's all part of the machine, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. Come and play the end more. You might break the floor. You might break and the that's going to be a great story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think this might be a very interesting chat to listen to if you weren't there. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I also think that part of the attachment was very much about being the right age. Yeah. Yeah. Listening back to it now, I can completely understand anyone older than than that age being very dismissive of the oh, song. Oh, yeah, because yep. yeah, like, we have plenty of Gen X listeners who would have no care about yeah, Linkin Park yeah. at all. And why would yeah. they? Why would, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we have plenty of listeners who are, who are younger than us as well. And look, I don't know what happens in your side of your brain. I've got, I've got, <laughs> I've got no idea. Maybe you think this is great. Maybe, maybe you don't. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're busy having a Twitch. Maybe they're doing a TikTok on the Twitch with the driver's license. Maybe that's what they're doing. That song is pretty good. It's it's not bad. That one's all right. All the young kids <laughs> listen to this being like, okay, boomers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. This you is can- the chugiest 100. Yeah. I don't know whether even any amount of words could probably mm. <laughs> make someone who wasn't there understand it, get it, click in. Yeah. Because it is it is in the end, I think, something... <laughs> Something that is it is is felt and experienced as opposed to like you know necessarily picked apart and intellectualized. Yeah. Um, but at least we've made an attempt here, I think, to to do that. Yeah. But I still think the song sounds really fucking big. Oh, like, dude, that riff! Like, I think it probably just stands out. Maybe when you if you were to come to this for the first time, treating it like a pop song that just had a heavy a heavy aesthetic. You know, maybe it stands up just fine there, but I wouldn't know because I got these nostalgia goggles. Yeah. And And goggles, they do everything. They do everything. (laughs) Number 54, it is the return of Blink-182. This is The Rock Show. Blink-182 
or Blink-182, depending on who you ask. That is the song, The Rock Show. It comes from their album, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, a title that took me far too long to get. I think it was last year for me. <laughs> but I didn't wait have that a much, minute! I didn't have that much to do with Blink-182. Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> Why would you take off your pants first? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. <laughs> but also... No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think you don't need to take your pants off completely anyway. Don't. <laughs> it's not important. Walk us through your setup, Adam. Uh, well, <laughs> unzip your pants and jacket. <laughs> well, I'm saying, Andrew, in the colder months. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Pull it out from your tracky dacks. <laughs> Mate. That's the Australian edition. So, of course, we are talking about the rock show, one of the big singles from the Take Off Your Pants record. Yeah, kind of a cutesy love song in the same... Like, this is to mark what all the small things is to Tom. Obviously, we are talking about a founding guitarist and a former member of Blink-182, Tom Ducklarange, as he is well known. <laughs> Ducklarange exists. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's some niche Blink gear for the, for the true heads out there. Big shout out to Nick. Made an excellent Blink-182 shirt that uh, you can... Find on our Discord. That's uh, true. Yeah. Come and join our Discord. But yeah, look, this isn't like a one that I go back to heaps in terms of Blink's back catalogue, mostly because this is a very well-retired jersey at this point. The power trio play is, is really strong here, like that's like kind of almost country-ish kind of riff. It's just a sped up country lick, which is kind of cool. The urgency of the drums, obviously, Travis, like a fully-fledged part of the band at this point, and like mm. his, his playing would go on to be inextricably linked with the band for, you know, years and years to come. The way that Mark's vocals just... Yeah, have that adenoidal kind of thing, but it never transcends into wah, wah, wah. You know, he, he's, he's much smoother. Yeah, it's because it's a love song. Yeah, I, I think you know? so as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got you to take the adenoids out. For yeah, your, for sure. If you want love, <laughs> get the adenoids get, out. Get the adenoids out. I don't have my adenoids, by the way. Oh, there you go. You, you did it for love. la dee da dee da Get your adenoids out is a weird... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, weirdly, that was also one of the working titles for the album. Yeah. <laughs> Fans of this podcast, do not proposition your loved ones by saying, do you want to get your adenoids out? Yeah. Down on one knee. Yeah. <laughs> or do it once and uh, tell them to listen to The Great Pod. Yeah, and see. <laughs> Say it and then if they look at you weird, be like, haha, JK. Yeah. <laughs> that was my brother driving. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would you have said though? What would you have uh, if I yeah. did actually? Oh can, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine it right now and tell me what you think? This is a, like a six out of 10 for me now. Probably back in the day, I would just been like, oh man, fuck yeah, you know. But like, even in terms of like singles of this era, this is definitely not one where I'm just like, oh yeah, no, this is, if, this is like an, an essential. Blink listen. It's it's cute and it's it's nice enough, but like this isn't one that I go back to all that often. This one for me is like primarily eclipsed by the music video, which I'm now going to explain to Adam because he hasn't seen it. Hello. The major label May gives- I ask questions about it? Yes. As they uh, occur. Wait wait until the end. Wait until no, the end for questions. No, I don't do that. So, major labels give bands X amount of money to go and make music videos. Blink-182 decide to uh, throw caution to the wind and go out and do a bunch of ridiculous shit with it. They find a homeless guy, they get him completely done up, and like they give him like a full suit, 
uh, and like give him a haircut and all this sort of stuff. And they they just throw money at the dude and like make him look like a million bucks for the day. They throw a free party in the park where they play a full set. You know, they just go around just doing goofy early they just 20s give shit. give away heaps of money as well. And they throw, yeah, Hang they on. like throw Hang money on. off the bridge and all that Hang sort on. of shit. This is a shitty version of God's plan. It's proto-God's plan, absolutely. Yeah, but Drake just gave people who needed money money. They didn't, like, dress up a homeless person and then not actually improve his situation. No. (laughs) Who would have thought that Drake is coming off (laughs) as a good guy? (laughs) That's God's plan. Yeah. Oh, okay, I know what this clip is. It's fun. And and honestly... Did, like, when you play it in reverse, does it seem like they're being really mad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They've taken this rich-looking dude and they turn him into a homeless guy and mm, well, that is good, so... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you love That's God's that. plan. <laughs> <laughs> so this song is one of the first songs that I remember bonding with other people over. Oh, true. And oh, really get getting s- into... Oh, you're going to get sentimental. This isn't my one step closer... I don't think I have a one step closer. This would be one step closer than many other songs to being my one step closer. <laughs> sure. This is this is easily one of the first songs that I bonded with other people. I remember talking to you about, but I also remember I'm pretty sure at a scout camp, really connecting to people over just finding this song fun. So you connected to Andrew with this song? I think so. Yeah. We were already friends. It wasn't our first. No, but, uh, no, no. I certainly okay. remember listening to it with you. Yeah, yeah. Can you reenact the conversation? No. Okay. Hey, Nathan, um, do you want to listen to Luke to the rock show? Yeah, great. Cool. Done. <laughs> that was okay. But, yeah, <laughs> I think first it was probably at a scout camp and like I bonded with people over. I got really into it. Mm. And then so take off your pants and your jacket. <laughs> and also the jacket was also, one of, also take the jacket off and then also the jacket please <laughs> take that off um was one of the first albums that I bought like with my own money oh, and I love poured that. over and mm. it's in the top tier of like nostalgia albums for me I'm glad we're getting all the nostalgic crap out of yeah. the way yeah. this yeah. one episode so like <laughs> You're right Deej it's not a spectacular song I think it holds up pretty well as just like a pop song and I think you know, reflecting on Blink now, and obviously we've been quite critical of Blink-182 on the podcast, I think this song is good in the way that it's not them trying to be, oh, we're such edgy punks or whatever. It's just like a pop love song, yeah. um, and it's quite sweet, and mm. it's catchy enough, and yeah. But this is, yeah, this is a big song for me. This is what I want from Blink-182. Yeah. I want throwaway pop music. Mm. Because I'm going to throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> so minus- Interesting that you mentioned it being. Uh, I know, yeah. Yeah. Mark Hoppus uh, apparently wrote this song in 10 minutes or so yeah. after um, apparently he'd been showing the band and the management some more, like in his words, experimental tracks, which I guess then you would see on the self titled record. Where are you? Yeah. yeah. Also, though, on this album, take off both your pants yeah. and also your jacket. <laughs> yeah. um, they started playing a lot more with like drum loops and stuff. Yeah. Like with Travis, like they. Yeah, there mm. is a trajectory there of them yeah. like starting um, to mess around a bit. Yeah, so uh, then the management apparently said to him... Um, where's the hit, Sonny? Yeah, apparently he asked, where's the summary fun time yeah, single? And then he was like, I'm going to write you the cheesiest goddamn song then. And, <laughs> and then I guess they had a hit on their hands. <laughs> yeah. Sir, you have fooled me twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah suck shit. I'm going to make a song that makes you a lot of money. <laughs> Checkmate, liberals. <laughs> 
This song fucking sucks. Yeah, I knew you wouldn't like <laughs> it. It fucking yeah. sucks. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know why? It doesn't just suck because it's like Blink-182 and I don't really care about Blink-182 aside from Man Overboard, which I ride so hard for. Mm. And also... Josie's fun. Josie's fun. I'll quickly just mention the few things about this song that I enjoy. I do like the line, she said what, and I told her that I didn't know. I think that's... Yeah. That, that's yeah. That, there's something about that that's very... It's disarm. very, mm. she said what, and I said my brother typed it. <laughs> <laughs> It's too real, Roy! It's too real! real. I'm always here for Mr. Travis. Bishing away. Has Uh his career just taken off recently? As oh, well, it's Take, oh, yeah, taken off as much as a pair of pants or jackets. Yeah. <laughs> um, pair of jackets. Pair of <laughs> <laughs> it's, if it's cold. cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you don't know, double jacket. <laughs> I think, if you, <laughs> well, I think if you layer properly, you don't need two jackets. So, <laughs> right. This song fucking sucks mm. because to me, what I hear is the punk rock version of fucking Summer of 69. <laughs> and if there's one kind of song that I do not have any fucking time for at all, it's songs like Summer of fucking 69, where you get some motherfucker like Brian Adams or Bob Seger or Don fucking Henley being a being a washed up dude. Like, remember that time I got laid at 17? <laughs> Those were the days. Fuck entirely off. Like, <laughs> just, just who gives a shit, man? Like, Nostalgia is a poison, number one. Yeah. Number two, like, just... It's just... Far, oh, God. It's like it gets <laughs> under my skin so bad. The thing of the cool rock chick that dudes are obsessed with yeah. is fucking... That, that's obviously fucking, like, binnable to uh, the extreme. But it's, but it's... Yeah, that. But it's also just, like, the idea of the, the dude writing the song about the romance in the past and being like, remember the glory days? <laughs> and it doesn't make it any better that it's a 24-year-old writing about it when he was 17 than it does when you're a 45-year-old yeah. writing about it when you were 17. It's, oh, it's got to be a bit better. No, it sucks. <laughs> it still straight up fucking sucks. And you know what? That riff, that main guitar lick, it, it even sounds... Sounds a little bit like Summer of 69. Don't have time for it. Never, have you never bought your first real six string? Shut up. Do not, <laughs> do not quote. That is oh, one the of the five and done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I swear to you, it is one of my most hated goddamn songs. That's so that, good. I love knowing I that. I hate it. Yeah. That's so oh good. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and, and like, you know, if you remind me of it, what am I going to... I'm going to go yeah, off, King. Like, I'm yeah. going to... I guess if you remember it, you have a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Quite the opposite. Those were the best days of his life. <laughs> I quit the podcast. I quit the podcast. I'm done. I talked about Linkin Park. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't need to do anything more. I'm just fucking man, that, was, that was a real high and low for yeah. you. <laughs> Between these, it was whiplash speed, man. Yeah, I could, I could like, you know my chair, jump for the air. Yeah. I, could, yeah. I could just take five Cards now. are on the table, folks. Yeah. Number 53, it's the return of Motor Race. Hey, Driver. Hey, driver. Hey, hey driver. driver. I'm being a passenger here. Take me to the studio. I got some boys to see.
making their return to the Triple J Hottest 100. That is the song, Hey Driver. Nathan. Hmm. Now we are we are back in the in the throes of the uh, the motor race discography. They are they're having a bit of a moment. Uh, it's not their biggest moment yet. That is still to come. But uh, oh, is it? Oh, it absolutely is. Cool. Yeah, I'm not privy to the. Oh, I haven't peeked ahead at the the motor race book. So I no, but you you know who they are. <laughs> you've heard. You've seen. You've heard. You know. Well, I, we talked about one song already. Two songs. <laughs> Two songs? No, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, American Shoes. Oh, American Shoes. They American, American Shoes. And, um, and then Deathify. Deathify from, from, uh, from The Secret, from Life, Secret of Life of Us. Indeed. Yeah, right. I think I had conflated them to one song in my head. <laughs> Death Shoes. Deathify American Shoes. <laughs> Deathify American Shoes. <laughs> if there was a path before you of broken glass... Or you know, bad things that were bad for your feet. You'd American have a bad shoes day. might help you defy that death. I mean, good point. Maybe it's just a sign that says, "If you're barefoot, barefoot is not legal. Barefoot. We will shoot you. <laughs> Barefooters will be shot." Yeah. So American shoes, death defy. Done. Okay, so you know how we talked about at the drive-in, and we talked about Jimmy Eat World, and we we're just like, "Oh, we'll obviously probably get to talk about their big signature song." And then, no, it didn't happen. Motor race, we will. In, right. in, in the uh, not too distant future But for now Do you reckon I know that song? Oh you absolutely know that song Okay 100% right. you know you that song You heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I know that song I'm going to mark that you all, you all know that song we can, okay. we can all remember back to this moment <laughs> Soon? <laughs> Later? I don't know um, at, at, at a certain juncture Yeah We will come to that point But uh, for now What are your thoughts on the song Hey Driver by the band Motor Ace? I'm not sure I get it I don't know. Sure. It's fine. That, that like, checks out with the way you said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think it's as catchy as the other two motorway songs we've talked about, one of which I forgot. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> not saying much for the catchiness no, of this one then. Really not. But it's okay. This feels less evocative of the late 90s, turn of the century Australian rock bands that we have talked about. I don't know. I, I I get less of a sense of the band sonically. It sounds to me just because we listened, we spoke about it last week. Yeah, sonically, it sounds like a less interesting version of Jimmy Eat World style emo. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. no, I can see less that. interesting. And as I said last week, that is not something I'm really looking for. So, Motor Race, I'm sorry, guys. Drop me, drop me off early. That's. I mean. That- <laughs> I'll get. I'll just get out and walk here. I'll just walk. It's fine. Well, the song it's is nice "Don't night. Take Me Too Too Far Down the Road." So mm. that's mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. I get, I get something very different. I get like Ben's era, Radiohead, Silverchair, Oasis. Oh. that kind of like late nineties British inspired. Yeah, kind right, of. Okay. So do you fuck yeah. with it then? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah right. I do. I think this is. Uh, I think this is pretty good. I think it's like. It's a very broad song. It's a so- song for broads. Like, yeah. yeah, for the broads. Yeah, for the broads. Yeah. broads. I love it. No. <laughs> of course fucking not. Oh, Maybe. Oh. You often use that word to describe women. Don't you dare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but broad in the sense that it's anthemic without like being particular. The, the, the sound is really big and huge. I think like the, the great thing about this song is that I think it would be as suited to a pub in Newtown as it would be like main stage at the big day out. It would it would it would kind of go off in, in both of those places. I think mm. it's a great example of like alternative rock in Australia at, at, at this kind of time. I was really not expecting that riff to hit as big as it did. Yeah, um, true. This is the opener to Five Star Laundry, which was voted in the top 10 favourite albums by the Triple mm. J audience of 2001. Yeah. Mm. So also of, also got in at number four in the Aria Albums chart. Mm. So it did, yeah. did pretty well for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, got a, it's got a real rock star quality 
that I actually want to throw myself and align myself with. It's like the good kind of rock star. It's got that kind of authenticity and that kind of like lived in quality where I feel like it's coming from somewhere. I think it's good. It was a hard time recording this song. They were, they were doing it in, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, uh, that explains it. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shut up, you love Melbourne. Oh, <laughs> I've, I missed, I've missed my Melbourne. fucking tram. <laughs> <laughs> it was during a heat wave and the, uh, the nearby power stations had been shut down. So it was uh, very hot, mm. having a hot time. In the in the studios, there's um, the summary song that the Blink One Eight Two producer wanted. Yes, <laughs> should have just locked them in a hot room. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But they and apparently, like they, it they were really crunching to get it done, and they only finished the vocals at two a.m. on the same day they were supposed to fly to London to mix the thing. Wow. So mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they, look, when we talked about Murder Race before, we talked about how they were like a very ambitious band. They wanted to like be the biggest. They wanted to be the band. They wanted to be the yeah. band in Australia, yeah, man. man. And like, I think that, you know, hearing this song as a case for why they should be is, is you know, I think several other songs were also that as well. And I'm pretty on board. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. They've definitely gotten to a point here where, you know, they have that that forthright kind of confidence in their sound and they're executing it really, really well. In terms of, like, overall impact, like, I would say this is probably probably my least favourite of the three that we've talked about so far. I still like it, but it's not as present and it doesn't have the kind of instance that American Shoes and Death Defy had for me, where it's just like I immediately kind of latched on. Hey Driver kind of, I, I guess, feels a bit more laboured and a bit more methodical. And so like it takes a little while to kind of crack into it the same way the other songs do. Like it's still a very well done song, but yeah, I, I can definitely see why this was the least successful song out of the three. Andrew, where did you kind of land with this one? Yeah, it's it's nothing against motorized, I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Again, but this sounds like a less interesting version of that Midwest emo sound of Jimmy Eat World from the other week. And that wasn't anything that I, that I cared for. So this is even, I care for it even less. Thankfully, I feel like the, the instances of me reacting like this to songs have gotten fewer and fewer as the years have gone on for the countdown. But it's one of those songs that's just like, eh, got nothing to really say to or from it kind of thing. Like, yeah. which I feel like when we were doing like countdowns from like 97 or so, like there was more of those songs because that was just the musical landscape was more populated by that kind of late 90s guitar rock sound. Um, but now that we're moving into, like we've already spoken about White Stripes and The Strokes, like it makes more sense that guitar music is getting more interesting. So the kind of, the, the songs where there's not really much to recommend or shit on about are getting fewer and fewer on the tail end of that is this song for me there's not really much i can say good or bad about it it's just kind of a generic rock song that i don't really care for fair play sorry motor race (laughs) i mean i'm excited about this next song though that apparently i know there's two there's there's two like well in the 2002 countdown they get their two biggest songs in and you think i know them both uh, you definitely know at least one of them. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's so impressive of yeah. me. <laughs> You're killing this. I can't wait. <laughs> at number 52, it's the return of They Might Be Giants with... Man, it's so loud in here. What? Nothing. I, I don't know. <laughs> 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 Good, Nathan. I'm glad that I fucked up and said nothing. <laughs> I forgot what the lyric was. They fixed up the corner store like it was a nightclub. 
They Might Be Giants coming in at number 52 in the 2001 Triple J Hottest 100 with... Man, it's so loud in here! What? I didn't know. Nothing. <laughs> uh, so, here we are, obviously talking about the uh, the most popular thing that They Might Be Giants were attached to in 2001. I know you're probably yelling what the actual answer is, but hey, you're not the boss of me now, so you're not so big. Malcolm in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life yeah. is unfair. He's yeah. right in there. Yeah. yeah, he was, wasn't he? So this yeah. comes from... Mink Car, their 2001 album, which came out on the same day as the Mercury Rev album, uh, True Heads No. Obviously, this is the band's love letter to 80s synth pop. Weirdly, they sound more like New Order than New Order do in 2001. Huh. So much like more like. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is obviously like a love letter to Sparks as well. I got a bit of Pet Shop Boys. Pet Shop Boys yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. loud Pet Shop. <laughs> yeah, Which, you know, Pet Shop's pretty loud sometimes. You got a lot of pets. Yeah, yeah true. Make a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get a b- birds. You know, like imagine mm, the, the bird section. Yeah. Bird- <laughs> The bird section of the pet shop. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. man, pet shops very smelly. Yeah, and yeah, and also inhumane. Don't use mm. pet shops. Well, you just made that fun, didn't you? Yep. Well, that's who I am, Adam. <laughs> a very fun person to be around. <laughs> yeah, that's why we've had you on this podcast. Just, uh, <laughs> no, you should adopt, right? Sorry, you should adopt. Yeah, ideally you should get a rescue, but <laughs> try and tame a bird. <laughs> yeah, try and just, if, look, if, if, you, if you're meant to have a bird, it, it will just like hang out with you. It's just, okay. If you walk outside and say like "bird, come to me," and you get one, that's yours. That's ethical. That's how. You- <laughs> that's what. That's ethical. It's ethical right. pet ownership. I thought you said epic. I'm like, like, that's, no, that's, that's truly epic, dude. Epic, dude, that you, you sir, win the internet today. <laughs> Adam, take some bloody Reddit gold. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up and take my upvotes, Adam. No, I don't want to be the poster. I don't want to be OP, please. Uh, you don't control the birds. Someday you will. <laughs> Not today. Not today. Um, they might be giants. Another one of my favorite bands in that top 50, in that last FM top 50 that I was talking about before, as are Blink-182. So, yeah. you know, it's a pretty illustrious list, i got to say. Well, you've you've crossed out four of the top 50 in the last... I know, right? Huge times. Yeah, I know. Is this the top one of the of the most recent mentions? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm over Jimmy Eat World. Oh. Look. <laughs> look at these nerds. <laughs> Yeah, lucky we're not talking about any of your favourite bands yeah, in this episode. Ooh. <laughs> Got him. Got him. Forward, sir. We're getting so good at those. Oh, yep. Yeah. And soon we'll be even better. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, weirdly, I had forgotten how this song actually went because when They Might Be Giants play it live... They generally just tend to do it in their normal kind of like college rock kind of style. You know, it's 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 much more of a rock song when they play it live. It's just really interesting to kind of revisit after after just hearing the quote unquote like normal version uh, for for so long, and then going back and hearing like the full production and hearing everything that they were going for. Hearing like you said, Sparks and uh, Pet Shop Boys and New Order and all that sort of shit, and they pull it off really, really well. I love the uh, I love the vocoder that they use in this. I love the synth sound. I love the beat. Even though one of the two Johns, I can't remember which John is which. 
Uh, there's a the tall one and the short one. So the short one is singing. <laughs> you mean Big John and Little John? Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, but are the names ironic? And Big John is the shorter one. <laughs> yeah. I could believe it. Ooh. I could believe that. Yeah. Oh. Just quickly as well. It, 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 you know, live had two people in that band called Chad. It's yeah. so great that there might be giants have two people in it called John. It's Not good. only that, but they that also fits. have their their bass player and their keyboard player are both named Dan. <laughs> two pair. The only that person. One pair. Yes. So Marty, <laughs> the, their drummer, is the only person in the band who doesn't have a bandmate that shares his oh. name. We need a band that's a full house that has three of one name and two of the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry for the leftover guy. Can we get him a bird? <laughs> get him a bird called Marty. Yeah, yeah, little, little Marty bird. But yeah, that's that's literally a, a line in their song. Where when will you die? From their uh, 2011 album, it goes, "That's Dan, and that's Dan, and that's Marty on the drums to complete the band, and I'm John, and he's also John, and all of us are wondering when you're gonna die." That got dark real quick. <laughs> I know it's a yeah. fucking it's a very funny song. I love They Might Be Giants and I always love when they kind of go into these weird kind of unex- unexplored territory and, you know, just kind of branch out a bit and do something a bit weird and ambitious. And this is one of their more weirder and ambitious singles, but it obviously connected and people fucking love this song. They don't love it as much as Boss of Me, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's still still definitely a, a, a memorable part of They Might Be Giants from the uh, early 2000s as they uh, enter their third decade as a band and uh, try and reinvent and adapt with the times, which, to their credit, they've been able to do. They are now in their fifth decade as a band, which is insane to think about. And they're wondering when we're going to die. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, interesting. Mm, Projection think- much? <laughs> <laughs> so... Where do you guys land with... Man, it's so loud in here. I had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, sick. This is a fucking groover, man. Like, I wish that there were perhaps more lyrics to describe what's going on, kind of thing like that, is what I would like. Oh, the ones that but are there are pretty cool, though. It's fun, and, like, it's funny. Like, yeah. Not, 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 like, in a cloying way. Like, it's like, not like a comedy rock song or anything like that. It reminded me a bit of Devo, which I mean as a compliment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just had fun with this, man. This is a, I know what They Might My Giants sound like, and when this started, and it was a synth pop song, I was really happy. And yeah. the thing that they're writing about is, like, it's it's observational humour, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's definitely been done before, the kind of joke where you say, like, what the hell is with every store insisting that it has to like behave like a nightclub or whatever. But the way that they do that in the song is great. Like the best line obviously is the one they say they revamped the airport completely. Now it looks just like a nightclub. Everyone's excited and confused. (laughs) Great. I think it embodies what I think the, the point of view that they might be giants has so well, which is like the weird dorky outsider Mm. and expressing yourself in a, just a a bit of a weird off way. Mm. They're never the center of attention, even in their own songs. That's the vibe I kind of get. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're a band that I, whenever I do hear them, I'm always like pleasantly surprised. Bands that have this kind of tone that, like, you certainly wouldn't call them a comedy rock band. It's not like they're not, they're not no. like Tripod or something. Yeah, like, they're a bit funny. They're they're funny and they. I, I thought they were mostly comedy. Right, as far as I know, I not think not necessarily. Yeah, I, like, I know that they've got yeah. serious stuff as well, but yeah, they're humorous yeah. and they're kind of sardonic. Can we say um, quirky? Is yeah, it okay, is it okay to use the word quirky? Yeah. The central premise of their music isn't a gag or a punchline. Yeah, sure, you know, sure. like the same way that like Weird Al has, you know, all yeah, of it is based yeah. on a punchline. They don't care well, if you're laughing. They don't mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't, 
you know, whatever. I'm not upset at all that you didn't find that funny. <laughs> it's actually fine to me. Actually fine to me. I wanted to have more fun with this than I did. Right. Um, oh. I think like I got it, but I just, I found it a bit too old manny, but not like f- making fun of that enough mm. to be like, I don't oh, know. Sure. Yeah. It just, it just didn't, it fell flat for me. Oh. That's all right. Okay, well, yeah. no, well, on that note, what, what could they have done to improve it? Make it funnier? It felt like it was a joke song that wasn't funny. Right, okay. Right. Yeah. Ah. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, I, I was personally surprised with this. Nice. It was, yeah. Here for them being synth pop boys. Yeah. I was charmed. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yep. Yes, quite. I was charmed by the band. By the the band, very very nice. Yes, quite. quite. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. See <laughs> <laughs> now, yes, alas and alack. Um, this is the last time that we will get to talk about. They might be giants. We've obviously talked about big hits like Doctor Worm, etc., etc. <gasps> yes, yeah, yeah, Dr. yeah. Doctor Worm, what yeah. a song! Uh, what was- a song! At Huge least we'll song. always have Doctor Worm. Yo, we, yeah, and that good um, New York City. Yeah, they covered. They cover. covered. Uh, yeah, covered New that York City. Fun. Yeah, that great was, track. That was really nice. We had, we've had some nice times. We've had yeah. some nice mm. times. Yeah, you know, looking back on our summer romance. Yeah, <laughs> our fling. <laughs> Might write a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah. Should I write a song about it? Mm, yes. No. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. At number 51, it's the return of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. This is 15 Feet of Pure White Snow. Where is Mona? She's long gone. Where is Mary? She's taken her But they haven't put their mittens on And there's 15 feet of pure white snow Where is Michael? Where is Mark? Where is Matthew? Now it's getting dark. Oh, where is Joan? They're all out back under 15 feet up. Coming in at number 51 in the 2001 Triple J Hottest 100, that was, Andrew, that was 15 Feet of Pure White Snow by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds from the album No More Shall We Part. Oh, look at Mr. Expert over here. (laughs) Check it out. Check out the big brain on Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that up. That'd be pretty bad. (laughs) Nick Cave and the Bad Cave. (laughs) 15 Feet of Pure White Cave. Cave. Adam, you could make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Heaps of thinking time. As well. <laughs> okay, we are talking about the lead single and, you know, probably the best known song from the album No More Shall We Part. Now, Andrew. David. Set the scene as uh, Nick Cave's resident super fan. For at least a long time, Murder Ballads was the last time that he got kind of raucous. 
The Boatman's Call, very soft piano-driven record, and that was 97, and this, this was 2001, so it was a four-year gap. Mm. In between that was uh, when not only did he meet his future and now present uh, wife, Susie, also in that four-year period was when he kicked his decades-long heroin addiction. Oh. Um, and I think not, not that he necessarily was, because he wrote The Boatman's Call, which is a very uh, album of very tender songs while he was still a junkie, but... um. I think that, that there's a real songwriting change between pre No More Shall We Part and post No More Shall We Part. Not only is he singing in, for him, what is quite a high register, considering his usual deep baritone voice, but the songwriting itself took a bit of a change as well. He was collaborating much more with Warren Ellis from this yeah. point on and indeed stopping collaborating so much with Blixer Bargeld and Mick Harvey, yeah. both of whom would go on to leave the Bad Seeds in the coming years. This song is really exemplary of the No More Shall We Part record in the sense that it's still got the, I guess what you would call the trademark, at least for a long period, the Nick Cave storyteller element. He's a real raconteur with his songwriting. Obviously, a long time for a period was. But it's more, it's much broader and more, like to a certain degree, less specific. It's not about specific characters. And I absolutely fucking adore the song. It's probably, for a long time, I'm No More Shall We Part I would have said is my favourite Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds record um, I think it's my favourite yeah and this song as, as the lead single and the kind of centrepiece at least up until the very last couple of songs where there's a real explosion it, this is probably one of the busier songs on it and I just think that's absolutely beautiful the piano work is great the soft drumming throughout the whole thing uh, hearing him sing in a higher register, which he has done more recently as well, is really fucking interesting. The few moments that the rest of the band do get to have some musicality presence, obviously Warren doing a lot of like string work, which is very beautiful, um, that is weaved through. But um, yeah, I just think this is a fucking absolutely terrific song that really, at this point, showed like the fact that it's obviously about like 15 feet of your worst snow but the whole song sounds fucking cold man like the, the, yeah. piano, the piano note it gives it a chill it's a, it's a pure winter song incredibly here for this song this is even by Nick Cave standards one that I absolutely treasure so so much yeah it's great I love like the dynamics of the band like I always just the kind of build up into the later choruses and there's that one where he says is it any wonder and it's really off the beat it's just like kind of so much like builds up to that kind of moment and in this sense that like he's not in complete control of the song or whatever, which yeah, after years of not writing songs like that is such a welcome thing to return to. Um, but yeah, I love the writing in this song. I think like it is a beautiful shape. Like, yeah, it fits great in the album. Yeah, it's a yeah. great song. This is like, to me, I'm not the biggest Nick no. Cave head. Mm. I don't really know. His I wonder who is. <laughs> I think, yeah, we got that covered. <laughs> to me, this is like, so Nick Cave. <laughs> it's almost like what you would write if you were going to do a Nick Cave parody. Yeah, like a, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. genre parody, it's, Weird Al style. Yeah. Like, you know, like I waved to my neighbor, he waved at my me, but he's was... secretly my enemy. It's like, all right, mate, yeah, we get it. You're gothic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and yeah. it's like, he just ends up chanting, oh my Lord. Oh, yeah. And just like keeps repeating 15 yeah. feet of pure it, white it is, snow. It is one dead woman away from being a Nick Cave parody. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, this is, I, I that's the, the thing I get. Do, does it make it a less good song? Oh, fuck no. It's, <laughs> Like it's it's just cave out of ten, yeah. Um, and and you're right though. Like the 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 whole thing about it being this because it's it's written about the aftermath of an avalanche. Yeah, that's what I infer. Yeah, and many people have speculated that it was him actually codedly talking about his own experiences with drugs. Mm. In which case, I think that that reads really really beautifully as an image. You know what I mean? Like it's this 
15 feet of pure white snow, it's beautiful, but you're fucking trapped. It's yeah. a lot of cocaine. <laughs> right? Like, the, the contrast in that image of beauty and hostility. And he fucking mentions just, like, random, like, the apostles from the Bible for no reason. <laughs> That's like, how he, he writes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that exists. It's my yeah. point. Like, it's just so... It's, we get it, man. Um, but, no, it's cool, you know. Dave and I could not go on and all in here and say that you like this song. I like it. Because I, I know your, I'm going to predict a thing here. Mm. This is a f- friendship prediction. Okay, here we um, go. That your preference for Nick Cave songs are the more active and band-driven ones than they are the softer piano-driven ones. I'd say so. Like, there are a couple of exceptions to that rule. Like, Into My Arms, obviously, is yep. a great example. Like, I, I like Nick Cave, but I love Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. This is a, this is a good song. It, it's... Not a great Nick Cave song, in my opinion. For whatever reason, I feel it just kind of drags a bit. There's just something about how methodical and, like, like dragging in the pacing that this has, you know. Like, it has little moments, like little flourishes that kind of, like, will eventually kind of rope me back in. I'm like, all right, I'm there, I'm there. But, like, I don't know. Like, No More Shall We Part and, like, Nocturama, obviously. Like, they feel more like kind of, like, off-season Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds records to me, like they're not ones that I come back to very often. I'm definitely with you on Nocturama. We've mm. we both described that as a bit of a stinker. Yeah. But this one, I think, like with this song as well in particular, is such a major part of the Nick Cave mythos. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I'd have to go back and listen. Like I'm very happy to be proven wrong. Maybe I'll go back and, and see if I can get something out of it again. But like, you know when you first do that like proper deep dive and you're just like, okay, I know this artist and I know these songs. Like, what else can I find? You yeah. know, like some records you can only give those cursory listens. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. That's probably just what I've done with No More Shall We Part. But like, for whatever reason, it just never stood out to me at the time. I think this is the last time we talk about Nick Cave for quite some time. Yeah. Until Lazarus. I think. Lazarus. Yeah. So that's like seven years. Mm. It, yeah. If you're going to check out anything from that era, I would say Abattoir Blues is really good. But also that first Grinder Man record. God damn. That just kicks the fucking door down, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess we shall part. Just think it's interesting is all. Yeah. <laughs> no more shall we part. Oh, yeah. You're going to go off for seven years, are you? <laughs> all right. Just think it's interesting is all. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. And it brings us to the Bon Jovi position of the 2001 Triple J Hottest 100. Congratulations, team. Whoa. We're here. Just the most unenthused Bon Jovi ever. Whoa. Whoa. Halfway there. (laughs) Steady on. (laughs) Steady on. Before we get out of here, we are going to pick our favourites, our least favourites, and continue the ever-continuing story of Carry Over Champ and Carry Over Chump. I am going to go first, and I am going to say One Step Closer is my favourite of this episode, and I am going to give it my new champ. And uh, my least favourite, I'll probably go with... I'll probably go with Hey Driver, even though I quite liked it. Um, so obviously my chump will remain the butthole surfers. Um, yeah, my favourite and new champ, unsurprisingly, Nick came the Bad Seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snow. Uh, my least favourite, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to have to give it to Linkin Park. As much as I'm, I really respect the journey that you, the people who liked it have with that song, but it's nowhere near my chump because the Good Charlotte song is just much worse. Uh, yeah, my favorite from this episode is Linkin Park. My least favorite is Blink-182. Champs and Chumps remain the same. I'm keeping <sighs> Patton against User and Step Back. 
Uh, my favorite will be 15 feet of pure white snow, but I'll hold on to one more time as my champ. Uh, my least favorite, I reckon it might be, man, it's so loud in here. Um, mm. But, like, yeah, some middling songs for me this episode, but nothing nearly as bad as Good Charlotte's Little Things. <laughs> Kids, 50 songs down, 50 to go. So go grab your halftime duck LaRange, and we will see you for the second half in the not-too-distant future. On behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Bye. Mr. Adam Buncher. I didn't know. <laughs> and Andrew McDonald. Nothing. <laughs> Snow. <laughs> My name is David James Young. Everything is good for you. That was Andrew. That was 15 Feet of Pure White Seeds. by Nick Cave and the Bad Part. From the album No More Shall We... Nothing.